Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey kids, uh, happy Monday to you. I'm Rob, he's Jack. You know who you are. Welcome to the show. Uh, just a game, uh, live in the Oodle Noodle studio. Um, excited, really excited. Uh, one of the real neat parts of this this role or this job or this industry or whatever is that every once in a while, um, not every once in a while, almost all the time, I get to interview people that are are pretty neat. But every once in a while, you get to interview your heroes. And for me, growing up in the early 70s, um, you know, my formative years were watching Bugs Bunny. And then at six o'clock, Hockey Night in Canada came on and and it was almost always the Montreal Canadiens. And they were winning all the time. And they had this really awesome goalie, Ken Dryden. And I was that that was my first uh you know, real hero, sports hero was Ken Dryden. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate. I've hosted events with Ken. I've interviewed Ken Pryor. Um, I think he's a brilliant man. I think he's far more complicated than, than most people in sport. Um, but he's also uh, very important, I think, in, in terms of the conversations that we've had in hockey. His book, The Game, really kind of set the tone for – uh, I, I think along with ball four and, and a couple, a couple of the other ones of the late seventies and early eighties really set the tone for good, um, sports writing and sports storytelling. And, uh, he's a prolific writer. He's a former member of parliament. He, he was the president of the Toronto Maple Leafs, but, uh, for me, it'll be, you know, the starting goalie for the Montreal Canadians and number 29 and, and 72 and, and playing the Russians and um, all of those sort of things. Uh, Hockey Hall of Famer. I, um, he's an um, uh, officer of the Order of Canada. He's in the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, the laundry list of, of accolades goes on. This is, this is what we're talking about. It's called The Class. The Class. This is going to be a fun conversation because this when I, read, when I read, started reading this book, it wasn't what I expected. But man, is it takes you to some really cool places, takes you to some really cool places. And I, I don't know if, if Ken would refer to them as Easter eggs, but there are a handful of really cool Easter eggs in, in this storytelling. Uh, you think you know Ken Dryden, and then a couple of really cool things come up. So uh, really excited about Ken joining us. I believe it's the first time we've had an author, Jack. Is that right? In this incarnation of the program? I believe so. Yeah. We used to get authors all the time, but I think this is the first time we've had somebody coming on to talk about a book. So it's a little different, eh? 
We're little show's growing, Jack. Our little show's growing. Um, the local hockey heroes continue their road trip uh, out east. They are in Washington tonight to take on Matt Phillips and Alexander Ovechkin and the rest of the Washington Capitals. Uh, coming off a 5-2 setback uh, at the hands of Sidney Crosby, uh, Malkin, and the rest of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, a game which was really the tale of two. Uh, the first 40 minutes was was uh, Markstrom. Uh, I thought he was just outstanding. Standing, actually, he was outstanding for the whole game because I don't, I don't pen any of the four goals uh, in the third period on him and the empty netter. Um, but I really, really like, uh, like I said to Danny Austin and Afterburner, I like that game better than I like the Winnipeg game for Calgary. But the the floor fell out in the third period, so they fall to one and one on the season. They take on a Capitals team that their loss their own one to start the season also came against the Washington Capitals or against the Pittsburgh Penguins uh they're looking for their first goal of the year that one's a, a five o'clock start there is some inclining inclining that Danny Vladar might get the start tonight um they didn't have a full uh full-on morning skate so an optional skate so the lines you know who knows um Matt Coronado first goal in the National Hockey League a power play goal um that was the lead that the Flames nursed into the third period uh, before giving up two goals in 23 seconds in the first minute. Uh, and then the, the Pens never looked back. I, I will say this about Matt Coronado. I have no doubt, no doubt that he is going to score at this level. None whatsoever. He needs to find a way to be a 200-foot player now. We can get into a long, abridged conversation about the validity of plus-minus, but he was minus four. Um, he has been put up on top lines. I I hope he gets the opportunity to play with Backlund and Coleman more because I think Backman, Backlund and Coleman will will kind of pull him and draw him into and be just good mentors to play a 200-foot game. Um, but, man, that little – you know, it's little things. Um, the little push – on the goal to get separation to find the quiet ice. He was right smack dab in the slot and then just nice little push off, glides back, nobody around him, easy access to the puck, and and the goaltender never had a chance. Uh, I like that. One of the other observations I would make about the Flames that I really like through 40 minutes, and then obviously, you know, there's there's no foot or no uh, no grand ground to stand on at in the third period, Really liked their sticks. I thought they were really active, coming back, getting into lanes, breaking things up. Uh, they held the offensive blue line really well. Again, I thought their sticks were in the right lanes, the right places. We're continuing to watch a team that um, has to stop thinking about his positions and, and has to just start doing. And I thought we saw a little bit of that in that game. Uh, but when the heat got turned up, when uh, Sidney Crosby decided, you know what, uh, I'm going to get serious about this, uh, they didn't have an answer. And unfortunately for me, that's when the Jonathan Huberdos and the Cadres need to have an answer. They need to be able to raise their game. Um, anybody who watched the third period, you saw – he had one assist. That's it. He had one assist. It's not like he ran up the points. But Sidney Crosby single-handedly dragged his team back into that game. Uh, and that's what superstars do. So tonight it is Washington. Thursday it will be Buffalo. Friday's Columbus. And that's another afterburner game for me, isn't it? Yeah, Friday. Okay. And then I think it's off till Sunday and then they play Detroit. Does that sound about yeah, correct? I think so. Okay. Um, 
Penalty kill's been good, seven for seven to start the season. Um, you know, against Winnipeg, I thought they were really good. They were really good in the first period. Uh, a brief five on, not brief. They had a five on three to kill off. Um, Sharon Govich continues to be a bit of an enigma wrapped in a riddle. Kid can skate. Kid can can kill penalties, but I, he just doesn't look comfortable to me yet. Um, and then I think the flip side to that is is Greer. I think did not go through the training camp thinking, well, the Flames need to go get something. They don't have something here. Um, thought Cole Schwint could get an opportunity, Connor Zeri. I thought there was lots of guys that showed during the training camp. But the Flames claimed A.J. Greer from Boston a week ago, and he has fit in beautifully. So uh, tip of the hat to the Flames professional scouts. Uh, tip of the hat to whoever's you know keeping track of um, you know the the player data and how it would work and and that that's really important nowadays when these players go there isn't a team in the league that doesn't evaluate a player that's on waivers that they'll have their numbers they'll have their metrics and um, they'll have certain lists uh, you know move heaven and earth to claim list or don't touch with the million foot pole lists and that sort of thing. And clearly AJ Greer was somebody that the flames identified as potentially because of his minutes and his roles and his, and the cap situation in Boston. Could he become available? He did become available and they jumped. Um, and so far through two games, I think he's been a really nice addition for them elsewhere. Um, Edmonton back-to-back -back losses against Vancouver. Don't know how much of that game anybody around here watched, but Boy, oh boy, uh, after an 8-1 drubbing, you knew the Oilers were going to come back, uh, hit it hard and heavy, and they did. Uh, scored within the first minute. But give Vancouver credit, man. They, under Rick Tockett, they are a resilient bunch. They're a physical bunch. They push back, and they win in Edmonton. So the Oilers dropped to 0-2. They'll head out on the road to play Nashville. No reason to panic, but um, there's probably some in the marketplace that are going, here we go again. Not the start that a, a potential Stanley Cup uh, contender would look for. And speaking of potential Stanley Cup contenders, uh, this game is so easy, so easy for Austin Matthews. Back-to-back hat trick, six goals to start the season. Um, now, you know, you could take a look at the bull in which the Cowboy was riding, um, you know, but having said that, you still got to beat the teams that are in front of you. And uh, they did that. They beat Minnesota and they beat Montreal. Minnesota is no easy pushover. Uh, but anyway, Matthews is off to a really good start. So here we are a weekend. Now this is where we begin to separate a little bit of the, the wheat from the chaff. Um, this is where injuries start to roll in, all of those sort of things. Um, it'll be very, very curious to see uh, what transpires here uh, this week. We're already starting to see some injuries out there. Um, uh, and And – not necessarily earth shattering injuries, but you know Tanev's out for not Chris. The uh, Seattle's Tanev is out for four to six weeks. Kirby Doc is out for a while. Um, you know people are getting banged up, <clears throat> so the cap continues to be a struggle for some teams. Injuries become that issue, and now the excitement of the start of the season, the excitement of the ending of training camp, that goes away. And for the next month or so, everybody fights like hell to get to American Thanksgiving to find out where they're going to be. Uh, elsewhere, a couple of things we want to do. Um, tough break for the Cavalry. 
the Cavalry at home, and I apologize to you. I believe I, I said last week a couple of times, oh, they're playing Winnipeg. They're playing Winnipeg. They weren't playing Winnipeg. They were playing the Forge, who are from Hamilton, uh, the Winnipeg or the Valor. Um, so the the Forge are uh, their number one rival. I don't, even with Edmonton in the league a couple of years ago, I don't think anybody was a bigger rival uh, than the Hamilton, uh, than Forge. Um, but in the new CPL structure, yes, Calgary lost at home, but they get another life. They host Pacific uh, this Saturday, 2 o'clock. Win this, and they get another date with the Forge, this time in Hamilton. So basically, they've given up home home field for the rest of the playoffs. In the, sorry, for the final. They had get home on, on Saturday. But if they win that game, then they have to go to Hamilton to play the Forge. Um, so 2 o'clock coming up this Saturday. Uh, kudos to Dave Dickinson and the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, I've written them off. I think a lot of other people have written them off, but uh, analytically, statistically, they have not been written off. Uh, they won over the Riders on the weekend, 26-19. They came back to do it. Um, two games to go, and there's still a mathematical chance uh, for your in-depth football coverage. Of course, I would push you towards live from 55 uh, with Danny Austin. I know this week he had Jamie Nye on and uh, Ian Busby. So make sure you check out that podcast. But, hey, credit to Dave Dickinson's crew. Two games to go. They're still in it. Um, it, it seems like a, a an uphill battle. It seems like a fight right till the end. Um, but who knows? And while we're on football, I guess the, the other one to mention is the Monday Nighter tonight. Dallas in L.A. to take on the Chargers. Um, another interesting day, I would say, yesterday. Jack, I think from my vantage point, a great day of football, but I think it probably would have drove betters nuts. I don't think it was a great day for betters. Yeah, lots of upsets. Lots of upsets and low scoring too, right? Low scoring as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe none bigger than the Jets winning. Uh, and beating Philadelphia. Can you believe it? The first time in history they've beaten Philadelphia. Yeah, I saw that. I was a little surprised. I was a little surprised, but they don't play a lot, obviously. Uh, but the Jets came back. The Giants, um, they, yeah, they didn't get a break, but you create your own breaks, and and uh, they end up losing uh, the Sunday nighter. Uh, but, yeah, uh, another interesting week in the NFL. And if you can believe it, week six, right? Yeah, it's flying by already. Staying on that uh, yeah. Giants game, yeah. did you see the debacle at the end of the first half? With, uh, without taking the timeout? Yeah, so they had no timeouts yeah. left. They uh, ran the ball. They ran the ball. And it looked like Taylor checked to a run play. It was supposed to be a pass play. Coach blew up on the sideline after, so that cost them in the end. I. It's the little things, right? It's always the little things. Um, hey, listen, Tyrod Taylor is what Tyrod Taylor is, right? Um, and... I, the Giants, to me, coming off the playoffs last year, should be so much better than they are. Just should be so much better than they are. And I know Daniel Jones is, you know, we were t we actually we were having this conversation off the air. Um, you know, kudos to the Detroit Lions and Jared Goff. I mean, my God, like, the Lions are legit, right? And when that trade was made, it was like, oh, you know, we got to get, you know, we got to get him out of Detroit. He's got to win. Well, he goes and wins. And then Detroit's consolation prize is they get Jared Goff. Oh, you got Jared Goff. Jared Goff works in that system. I'm not saying he's an MVP. I'm just saying he works in that system, right? Not, not unlike Brock Purdy. Like yeah. Bro Brock Purdy works in that system. It just does, right? Trey Lance couldn't do it. Nope. But Brock Purdy can. Yes, he can. And, and I think it's the same thing for Jared Goff in Detroit. It works. 
Don't question that. That's going to be the first meaningful Thanksgiving game <laughs> involving the Lions <laughs> almost ever. Yeah, it's been a while. All right. Well, a uh, reminder, we are broadcasting live on Treaty 7 territory, and uh, this is an inclusive program. Everybody is welcome uh, to join us. We are, of course, an ally for all. Um, our guests are brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary, uh, three lo four locations when the snow flies. Two are open right now. McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, and that's a big one, so make sure you stop by there. Bow Ridge Road Northwest, uh, just by the McDonald's, by uh, Windsport there, another big store. Get in there, get your skis, get your snowboards, get your clothing, whatever you need. Doesn't The, the, the hills are opening up here soon. Not necessarily in Calgary we're going to see snow soon, but the hills are going to open up here in November, so make sure you check it out. Ski Seller Snowboard. SkiSellersNowboard.com. Um, what an, an indeed a, a huge pleasure and an honor for us to have uh, this man join us. His new book is The Class, um, a memoir of a place, a time, and us. And I have to tell you, not exactly what I was expecting, but it hooked me hard. Um, we've had the honor and, and the pleasure of having the Hockey Hall of Famer and the Canadian Sports Hall of Famer on with us before. And um, a couple years ago, he was uh, kind enough to join us and, and wrote a very important book uh, about the uh, the life and death of a good friend of ours, Steve Monador. And we had a, a brilliant chat with him then. Ken Dryden's kind enough to join us today. Mr. Dryden, how are you, sir? Can't hear you. Hold on. That's all right. We'll get, it'll work. Sometimes the the mute buttons. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, we will uh, get Ken sorted away. Uh, I did mention may, maybe is a good time. Can we do both? Can we put up the graphic of the other books as well? Um, of course, we mentioned before that Ken is a prolific author and has written some of the most important books in, in sport and other topics as well, um, including the game, which is all the way back to 1983. Um, and Game Change was the book that I was referencing as well. Um, wrote the definitive book, I think, on Scotty Bowman as well. Um, just Again, this book, uh, which I had a chance to go through, A Place of Time and Us, the class, is a really cool story. Try again, or we good? All right. Ken, can you hear us? I think you can hear us, but can we hear you? No, we can't hear you for some reason. That's the trials and tribulations of technology. <laughs> Jack, I'll let you make the call. What do you want to do? Let's uh, shoot him another link here, and we'll we'll try again here. Okay, so we'll try firing over another link and see if we can if that makes a difference. Um, I did mention um, the previous book, and we uh, we talked about it. the The challenge for um, I think for some of us is that is to get the right people to listen. And when Ken wrote about you know around Steve Monitor, it was really a, a health and safety book and headshots and. And a lot of things, you know, that the NHL needs to address, but clearly wouldn't. Um, and what was disappointing for me was it never seems like 
we ever get into a real legitimate conversation about um, things. If we, you know, we're going through this this conversation right now with the National Hockey League over Pride tape and and games and things like that, but it doesn't seem like we can engage um, in a proper conversation. Um, and that's what's needed. That is truly what is needed is is those opportunities to to really deal with difficult subjects. Um, and some of the answers I get it are, are, are going to be difficult and some of them are going to be litigious, uh, but they are conversations that we need to have. By the way, Ken will be in town next week at WordFest, Tuesday, October 24th, eight o'clock, uh, Memorial Park Library, uh, Q and A and a book signing as well. So you can go to the WordFest website, but Next Tuesday, October 24th, 8 o'clock, Ken Dryden, Q&A, signing, Memorial Park Library. Um, <clears throat> and uh, just, a, a, again, I'm, I'm gushing because I love listening to the man talk. Um, he really does bring interesting perspectives and challenging thoughts to, to topics that we, we deal with on day-in, day-out basis. I mean, he's, he has really done it all. Um, he, you know, played at the highest level. He was a broadcaster. I don't know if many people remember this, but everybody knows Michaels, um, the color commentator for the, uh, miracle on ice game was Ken Dryden. All right. We got Ken back. We'll try this again. Fingers crossed, toes crossed. I think we can hear you this time, Ken. Can you hear me now? I can. Brilliant. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm, I'm okay. Sorry about that. I could see you and hear you, but... Obviously, you couldn't hear me. Sorry about that. Well, and that, quite honestly, is, is rather a critical piece of this as we discuss your book <laughs> and, and some other things. Um, how are you, first of all? Uh, how are you making out these days? What is keeping you busy? Well, we're fine. Um, my wife and I live in Toronto, as we have for a long time. Uh, our kids and grandkids live in the U.S. Northeast, and we visit with them as often as possible. Um, this book has certainly kept me busy for the last couple of years and will continue to for the next couple of months with interviews like this and travel and I'll be out in, in, in Calgary uh, next week and, and, uh, and I have another project that I'm working on now and we'll, we'll see how that one goes. I was, as I, I think you heard me when I, I said it, I was fascinated to receive the book, the class, and I'm looking at going, okay, what is this all about? I got into it, and I got to be honest with you, I loved it. Um, and we'll get into why, because I think it's it's written in a really unique way. But to set it up, Ken, so it all comes down to September 6, 1960 in Etobicoke Collegiate, where this class, essentially a high school class, is put together, but it was it was unique, right? What were the circumstances around this group being put together? Well, it was, it was at a time when school boards were starting to create special classes. And, and, uh, and so I, we, that, that there were students from four elementary schools in, in what was then the township of Etobicoke, and now it's the suburb of Toronto, Etobicoke. And, and, um, I guess we wrote special exams. None of us really remembers, but apparently we did. And 35 of us were selected. And, and so we went into our, our first day of class was the day after Labor Day, September 6, 1960. And at that time in Ontario, high school went to the end of grade 13. Mm -hmm. So we stayed together 
uh, almost all of us through those five years. There were a couple of exceptions. A few, I think two students uh, moved out of the area, a couple moved into the, re the rest of the school, but otherwise we stayed together. And, and, uh, and so we were together for 200 days a year, um, um, uh, all day. And, and the question you know, that I've had in my mind for decades really, and was, where did we go? What did we do? And in almost, in almost no cases did we maintain any kind of close contact with, with, with the others. There were a couple that were friends then that remained friends, but otherwise any kind of, um, uh, any kind of connection was just random. We'd just bump into each other on the street. And, and I mean, we're all at an age now in, in our mid seventies and where, you know, and, and long before that, for me at least, and I think for a lot of people, we, we wonder, you know, how did we get from there to here, from, from the childhoods that we had to where we are, however many decades later, and almost none of us are where we imagined we would be when we were 10 years old or 15 years old. And it's almost all surprises. And so I wanted to find out about my 35 classmates, how it had been for them, what their lives had been, where had they gone? What choices did they have? What choices didn't they have? What decisions did they make? Did they get married, not married, divorced, not divorced, have kids, have grandkids? What jobs did they take? Where did they live? And, and, uh, uh, and following that you know, very complicated path that is all of ours. So that was the idea of it. Then the question was, how do I find everybody? And so I just started with a couple of people that I knew and that I thought might have a, a few addresses. And then you know, that number you know, grew to a few more and a few more and a few more. And in the end, I found 34 of us. Um, um, six from our class have passed away. Um, and, uh, but even with those who have passed away, I was able to find five um, of their families, either you know, brothers or sisters or, or other close family members. Um, and, and, and we started talking and it was one-on-one. -on -one. And I thought maybe we would, you know, each conversation, we maybe split it up into a couple of them and, and talk two or three hours, um, each one-on-one. -on -one. It turned out that probably, you know, on average, uh, we talked 12 to 14 hours each over a couple oh. of years. And, and it was fascinating to do. I think the other part that was, I kind of knew would be the case but it became even more clear as I was doing it. Is that a is that a from there to here personal story, is also a from there to here, you know, country story, time yes. story. Yeah. And and because we're all affected by the times in which we live, and uh, and so it was a way to tell a post-war story about Canada as well. And uh, and this is the result. Um, just a, a point of clarification. What do, do we know? How were you the only class that tried this? Were there other classes that were kept together for five years after you? Is was this some sort of experiment? Well, it was a. We were not the first. Okay. Um, there had been at least two other years ahead of us uh, mm -hmm. at Etobicoke this way, and and I think that 
that before us, there were all kinds of experiments about how to do it. I know my, my brother, who is five, six years older, yep. he, he uh, uh, in elementary school, skipped a grade by actually skipping it. I mean, he went from grade five in, at the end of June to, to the beginning of grade seven uh, the following September without going to grade six at all, and, and which turned out to be a bad experiment. Okay. Um, I was part of a, you know, a few years later of where they had accelerated classes and we took grades three or, or four, five and six in, in two years. And I think that continued for a while and, 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 and specially selected classes have continued in, you know, in high school and, and to some extent in elementary school really ever since, but in various different forms, uh, because, you know, each has their own uh challenges to it i mean that that at, at that particular time there wasn't a lot of thought given to um, um uh, you know age groups i mean if you could do something it didn't matter whether you were 12 years old or 13 or 14 years old if you can do it then why not be a 12 year old amongst 14 year olds right. now there's much more of a consideration to to levels of maturity and and uh, uh, and 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 the importance of staying with your age peers, not just your academic peers. I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask just one little bit of an observation on how the game of hockey has changed. You go, you start this grade nine class. Twelve years later, you'd be playing in the most important hockey series in history. How you know? What was hockey like for you when you're going through high school? Because you know what it's like now. It's academies and it's summers teams and all of this sort of thing. Where where was hockey, you know, in your pursuit of it at, at this level? Well, I mean, I think that that uh, again, you know, that that I'm part of this story because I'm part of the class, yeah. and and so I had to write myself into this story, and part of my story is is again in terms of what we had in our own minds and 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 where we thought we were going to go i never thought i was going to play in in the national hockey league i mean i that that seemed a, a totally other world mm -hmm. and and uh um and i i loved playing i wanted to play we were on good teams uh and and we'd look forward to playing the next year and the next year after that but at some point there was, we'd reach an age and a level where a coach would say, you know, no, sorry, it's, it, it, you know, the, you, you're not good enough any longer. And, and for me, what, what I hoped I would be good enough to play college hockey. And, and, and then that would be the end of it. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I thought I'd be a lawyer in, in Toronto. Uh, I thought I would do kind of what lawyers do, but I didn't even really know what they did. Uh, <laughs> But I'd live a lawyer's life, you know, whatever that was going to be, and likely in Toronto, and I'd likely get married, and I'd likely have kids because that seemed to be what happens. And then, if I had any engagement in hockey at all, it would be as a as a, as a coach of uh, of our kids' teams, right? And 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 that would be it. And and uh, and so it was a an utter surprise for me that things started to go in a different direction that that I was better than I thought that our teams were better that US college hockey was considered not such a dead end route mm -hmm. uh, NHL teams uh, needed some players because expansion was happening uh, and I got a chance 
and and in a place that I never imagined and on a team that I never imagined and with results that you know I certainly never imagined. And but that's you know that that's the story of all of us. Sure. And that's what I was trying to get at and, and you know or try to get at in this in this book is that is that you know even those that imagined that they would be teachers what kind of teachers what level mm-hmm. what subjects did they end up liking what did they come to like about teaching or not like about teaching um, what about then moving off into other careers uh, that were teaching the ability to teach was important but it wasn't in a classroom and and so we had you know all kinds of people living all kinds of lives and we had you know we had to find ways of making those work just as as, as everyone else does it's uh, called the class a memoir of a place a time and us you talked about it i i'm fascinated by the time component and the through lines and that's where i said this was that's what hooked me can you tell me why you chose population as a a, a, a kind of a an anchor point in in this book well i'm not sure that uh, I, I think i think population is a bit of an anchor point for anybody i mean that that sure. it, it suggests you know something i mean it suggests obviously size and size can suggest certain importance and possibilities and and it's it, it's a common reference point for all of us you know as as we you know most of us know now that the population of the country is 40 million mm-hmm. when we were born it was 13 million yeah and 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 what became and 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 where we lived in Etobicoke, uh, the population just a couple of years before we were born was only about fifteen thousand or so, and they imagined that the population by the mid seventies would be over a hundred thousand. In fact, it was almost three hundred thousand by that time. It was the it was the you know it's the story of the suburbs. It's the story of a, of a post war world in Canada and in the United States where there seemed to be nothing but possibility, where so much of the rest of the world was in disarray because of, you know, principally because of war, uh, in other cases because of immense changes going from, from colonial times to times of independence. Yeah. And, and this was this moment for these 13 million people in Canada, for our parents, to create something create something that had never been coming out of war, coming out of depression before that time, coming out of a, of a, of working class lives, which was almost what all of our families lived now into ones that had middle-class possibilities. And, and, and where central to all of that, of, of realizing these possibilities was, was, was going to be education. Mm. Is that instead of, as with our parents, where almost none of them went to university, we would be the generation that would go to university. And if our parents had been able to create this kind of incredible or world with incredible possibilities with only a high school education, they thought, imagine what our sons and daughters could do with a college education. So it was, you know, and, and then, you know, that, that in, in, in 1967, you know, when we were 20 years old and the country was 100 years old, yep. the population was 20 million. I mean, there was a song at that time of, you know, we are 20 million proud and free. I mean, that was the song that came out of Expo times. Right. And, and, and then, you know, growing again. But, 
But relative to the rest of the world, even as our population has grown dramatically, that in fact, um, um, you know, that, that, that we are a relatively smaller country than we would have been in 1947 when we were born because of the growth of population in a whole lot of other places. Exactly. And, 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 we're, and population, in a sense, has also become less significant uh, in, in, in some ways and, and of where there's a, a, an understanding that, that populations of, of, of too great dimensions are very difficult to, to find ways of managing, of, of, of governing, of, of making economies work. And, and so it's a question of, of what we do with the population that we have. As, as I'm reading the book, I, I just, I love the, you know, I guess nowadays using the, the current parlance, the Easter eggs that are dropped in there. But the, the one nugget that I really enjoyed, and you mentioned it off the top, 35 in the class, six have passed on, but the bulk of your class would be 75 to 77. Yet when you were born, life expectancy was 64 years, right? So that itself is a bit of a story. Yeah. No, it's, it's like, that's the part, the things that, the things that are, are, are stunning changes really over our time. And I didn't set out to write it this way. Mm -hmm. It was, it was to discover this through the 35 of us, through yep. the lives that we've lived. It wasn't to, to come in with a philosophy and then to apply, you know, the, uh, you know, some of the conversations to it. Mm -hmm. It was that in fact, how had, you know, um, all of these things evolved? But one of the things that, and, and as one could imagine, coming out of World War II, 13 million people, huge country, all the possibilities, the big projects like the St. Lawrence Seaway Project, Le mm -hmm. uh, uh, Duc and the oil field, fields in Alberta, uh, Arvida in Quebec, the development of the North, all of these things were immense. And yep. that there that there was no way that that we had a financial uh, you know um, uh, underpinnings to do these things without the central role of government, and so I mean we grew up at a time when government was really a, um, a, a central actor mm -hmm. in 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 helping to create the foundation for these possibilities that were in front of us, and and. And so, I mean, so many of, of in our class went on to become teachers in, in mm -hmm. some way. Others, part of the healthcare system, you know, part of, of uh, working directly with in government jobs. And, and, and where, you know, they had grown up with, they had seen, they had understood, they had experienced the, the central importance of, 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 of the government. Well, then by the time you know, we're in our 40s, late 40s, early 50s, there's much more of a shift away from government and much more of, you know, that instead of government being this, this you know, this not just a benign instrument, yeah. but, but, a, but a very positive instrument, maybe it's, maybe it's not such a, a benign one. Maybe we need to do much more on our, uh, by ourselves and, and not with government in, engagement. And so you can imagine, you know, with teachers, you know, as, just as one example of where you, you grow up believing in education, you have, you, you reap the rewards of it through your own um, uh, schooling, uh, 
you you you're, you're teaching and all of a sudden you get into the 90s and everybody's looking at the school system and saying what's wrong with the school system what's wrong with our teachers they're getting paid too much their pensions you know are are, are too high their their mm-hmm. jobs are easy um you know and whatever whatever and and so this has been your life this has been something that you have lived you have believed in and in ontario you know, with the when when Mike Harris became um, uh, the premier in, in the late you know nineteen uh, nineties and the mid to late nineteen nineties, there was the huge fight with the teachers and with the teachers unions. Yep. And 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 this fundamental fight of where you know you believed in what you were doing, and then now you have others telling you that you were a fool. You know that that in fact you shouldn't have believed what you were you were doing. So you know we're a generation that has lived through that. We lived through the incredible uh, change in in terms of the diversity of the country. Mm-hmm. Etobicoke Collegiate was about eleven hundred students, and there were only three who you know one would have termed at the time of of being visible minorities. Right. That's it. And 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 yet you know through our working lives. And through being teachers, through being uh, public health workers and others, you know, that the, the absolute close experience you have um, with seeing the changes that are happening, you know, in the country. Who's in the classroom? Who are you teaching? What are the new challenges of teaching? What about being a public health worker and how do you deal with those who have, have lived in, in, in different ways? And so, again... Through this, you know, through the lens, I guess, of, of 35 lives, mm-hmm. there's a chance to kind of see all of these different changes and evolutions in the country and, and how we have dealt with them. Tell me about this process, this writing process for you, because part of this was done during COVID. And there's a not, you know, very few of us have positive stories about COVID. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but COVID certainly played a role in, in how you went about putting this book together, didn't it? Well, it it did. It made it easier to do because <laughs> that we were we were inside uh, and we had fewer things to do. Mm-hmm. And 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 all of us were also of an age where you know where we had you know that that we were in our retirement ages. Some you know some were still working, but most were retired. And 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 so not only was there more time, but there was more time to think. And it, it's part of what made COVID so hard for so many people is that is that it it. It did raise fundamental thoughts. I mean, of you know that all of a sudden we felt vulnerable, no matter what age we were, but especially if we were older, or if we were middle-aged, thinking about you know our our parents who were older, and 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 their circumstances, and uh, and you're inside more often, and and if you have a house, you know you've got photos on the walls, and you've got you know boxes in the basement. And, and those boxes that you were, you promised yourself that you were going to get to sometime, well, after decades passing and you haven't gotten to them, during COVID, you find yourself walking downstairs and going through boxes. And, and, and again, facing and confronting things that, that you never did before. And so I think it, it made the conversations 
um, you know, it allowed for them to go longer. And by going longer, it allowed for us to talk about more things and to discover more things. I mean, that, that almost none of us had thought about, had, had thought a lot about a lot of the things that we were talking about. And we were kind of puzzling through all of this together. Ken, and I, I, I know how this question will sound. It's not how I intended, though. But were you the only person in that class that could write this book? Did your, you know, notoriety open doors and make it make it more accessible to you? I don't. I don't think it's the second part. I don't. I mean, you know, the, okay. the, I think. I think it's. I think the question is: is that writing a book is hard? Yep. And 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 it takes a long time to learn how to write a book. I mean, we can all write a letter. Uh, maybe we can write an article. Uh, but a book is not um, a very long extended letter or, or article. I mean, it's something quite different. So that it would have been hard for others in the class mm -hmm. who hadn't had much experience and, uh, and, and, and development time in writing to have written this book. How much did you have to edit? With all of those interviews, with all of the stories, how much editing went into this process? Oh, oh it's, I mean, it's endless. I mean, yeah. that, that, you know, the thing that, that, that all the, what the interviews do and the, and the tapes, it's just your research. It's, it's just like the equivalent of, of looking at your bookshelf and all of your books. I mean, you, you know, do you look at your books and say, uh, okay, these are 10 books that relate to the subject. Um, therefore, um, you know, you know, they're just going to add up to a book. No, I mean, that's not what it's like at all. And it's the same thing in terms of, of recordings. I mean, the, the difference in, 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 uh, um, in, in writing about people that others don't know anything about uh, or, you know, or, or that the, the broader public doesn't know anything about is that there are no secondary sources, really. I mean, there mm -hmm. are no books that are written about them or, or newspaper articles. And so the only research you have really comes in the conversations. But again, it's just research. And, and one of the things that, you know, that becomes, you know, that, that I kind of knew about, you know, before, but certainly becomes clearer in it. Is that is that we we all have our story to tell, mm -hmm. and 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 I mean even 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 those five years that we shared together, you know we experienced those five years differently. Um, you know we remember different things. We remember the same things in different ways. I mean that's the way memory works. That's the yeah. way life experience works. And so you know you 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 have all of these people talking about you know uh, you know things um in in their in their lives and and uh, I, and i would um, you know and, and i think you know what happens for all of us is that we don't really know that we're right in terms of what of the stories that we tell uh we can't know you know whether we're right that that over time what happens is that what we're really looking for is something that makes sense, mm -hmm. something, you know, something that makes sense to us, that that has some kind of coherence to our, you know, to our own minds in terms of, and and in the end, really, it's it's something that we can live with, and I think that's the way all of us are, in 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 terms of of the stories that we tell about our lives, 
And so then as you're, as one is writing about all of that, it's to know that it, it's, and, 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 and to try to as best as possible, understand the stories that are being told. And at the same time, you know, kind of um, push people into going beyond their stories because all of our stories are practiced. I yeah. mean, if you know, we've, we've told them fifty times before, and 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 uh, in, in, but in fact, if you have the next right new conversation, it might be the fifty-first time that 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 version starts to open up a little bit, uh, and 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 that you come to realize that well, that's it so far as it goes. But then. What about this that I did later, or what about that that I decided not to do? And then, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, the the story becomes something not only mm -hmm. different but a whole lot more interesting, uh, and 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 likely a whole lot uh, closer to 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 how you really feel. I, I again keep hearkening back to how much I. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Learned or how much I, I go, geez, that's crazy to me. The spider web, um, you know, you had a, a you had a, a classmate whose dad was part of the Avro Arrow project, yes. and you played in '72, and you had classmates that went to '67 uh, Expo '67 play. It's a group of thirty-five that have this spider web that touch so much of what built our country in that time. It's amazing to me. Yeah, yeah I mean that, but but it's. It's it's what happens. I mean, if, if yeah. you if you choose only four or five people, you know the, the range of experiences is is going to be pretty limited. With thirty five people, there are a number that are going to be divorced. There are a number that are going to mm -hmm. to uh, you know have dramatic changes in terms of their jobs. They're going to have people. You know, they're they're going to be people. You know who. Um, um, who, who lost loved ones, you know, whose spouses, you know, died prematurely, uh, you know, uh, uh, kids who may have, have died. I mean, those kinds of things happen when, you know, the number gets to be, you know, 25 or 30 people. And, and, it, and it's far more suggestive of, of, of the range of life around us. Yeah. I mean, we can all cherry pick and say, okay, let's, this would be kind of fun. Uh, I had, you know, 10 buddies in high school, uh, you know, let's, uh, you know, let's write about them. Well, 
you know, sure, you can do that, but it's a self-selected, cherry-picked small group mm. as opposed to, you know, in a class of 35, you know, there are probably five or six that you know pretty well. There are probably another five or six that you think you know pretty well, but actually probably don't. And then there are probably about 10 at least that you almost have never talked to, you know, even year after year. And, and, uh, um, and, and yet, you know, then you think about them. What about, you know, Judy Clark? And, and what about Margaret Sylvester? They seem nice. Why didn't mm-hmm. we talk more often? Where did they go? Right. What kind of lives did they live? And, and, um, and so, I mean, it's just endlessly fascinating. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it all and how we deal with various different circumstances that, that, that come to arise. I felt you were very raw and very personal um, in this book on a couple of occasions. And I'll, I don't want to give it away because I want people to read the book. But I do want to ask you, I, I don't know why this I found this odd or it caught me off guard, but your love of television. You were very, uh, very open and honest about you know television and what it meant to you and the programs and the influence, but even the family dynamic, dynamic for you. I thought you were very honest about that. Well, I mean, again, if, if you if you go back to that particular time, again, yeah. born in, in, in 1947, I was, some of the others in 1946, television really kind of came to us in, you know, that I, I don't think we had our first TV until about 1954. There would have been a couple of people on the block maybe a year or two before, but that's it. Now, at, at that time, there was one Canadian station, and that was CBC. And it, it I think, started maybe four in the afternoon and went off at, at midnight. That was it. <laughs> and now, and, and we, you know, I grew up, again, in Etobicoke, a suburb of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And, and it was because of our location that we got two more stations because we, of our proximity to Buffalo. And we got, you know, WBEN, the CBS station, and WGR, the NBC station, and then shortly after WKBW, which was the ABC station. And they, of course, were on, you know, probably 18 hours a day, probably, uh, you know, pretty much from six in the morning until midnight, something like that. And, 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 and and so, and, and television at the time, and again, it's not hard, it's, it's hard to kind of imagine it from this distance, but, but if you put yourself in the circumstances of the moment, it's not hard to imagine at all. I mean, this unbelievable instrument where you can sit in one place and, and see the world on a screen uh, and see things that are happening at that very moment. I mean, that's impossible. And, and so here we were with this impossible thing in our, you know, in our living rooms. And so... We're going to watch it. I mean, and, and, and not only are we going to watch it, but the whole family is going to watch it. And, and because of this fascination of this programming that is on this television screen. And again, there are only three options and there, we only have one TV. I mean, nobody, you know, if you're lucky <laughs> enough to have one TV, you're not going to have two. Yeah. So everybody who's watching is going to be watching together. And, and going to be sharing the same experience, have the same things to talk about, 
have the same things to talk about on, at the schoolyard the next day, the same things to talk about at the water cooler at work, the same things to talk about uh, at bridge club or at the church. And, and, and I mean, television was this remarkable instrument that was there in our houses. And I loved it. And what it also did for me is that, and I talk about it in, in the book, and it, was, it came as a surprise to me, is that I, like living in Toronto, you know, big city, um, uh, like I had very little connection in growing up with nature. I mean, mm -hmm. we had parks around, but we never had a summer cottage. My, my father's busiest time was in the summer. So we, you know, we, we, we stayed in, in the city and, and with, and, and, and loving sports. Well, if you love sports, TV is just this impossible creation. I mean, you know, what, what a gift. Yeah. And so on Saturday afternoons, in the in the fall uh, and and winter or in the fall particularly college football, then NFL on on Sundays and it wasn't that big of a deal then. The big deal, of course, was baseball and the game of the week that was on on Saturday and all of that was being played south of the border. And so my my orientation was much more south mm -hmm. than it was north, True. and most of my classmates. Their orientation was north. They they had summer cottages. They they went to their cottages. They you know they loved canoeing and they loved swimming and they loved everything that that related to cottage life. I loved to stay in the city, play baseball, and 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 think about things that were going on south of us. And a lot of that awareness came from the two Buffalo stations. And and uh, and so I I love TV right from the beginning, and I love it today. The book is called The Class, um, and Ken will be in Calgary next Tuesday, October twenty fourth, eight o'clock at the Memorial Public Library as part of WordFest. Ken, a couple more for you, if I can. And again, I'm always a little bit leery about uh, digging too much into the things that I think people are going to enjoy in the book. But I I have a couple I want to ask you about. One, because I can't walk away from this. In the book, you talk about playing college and playing in a 19-1 game against Ithaca. And you skated in the third period in goalie skates as a forward and scored in that game. Right. That's crazy. Well, what made it less crazy was Ithaca College was really bad. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> and... I mean that 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 where that comes into the story is is, and and this is another thing that's sort of hard to believe, but but it, in in U.S. colleges until the early 1970s, I think it was early mm -hmm. mid 1970s, you could not play a varsity sport until your sophomore year, until your second year. Right. So the great great all time players. In, in U.S. college sports, and whether it was, you know, Jimmy Brown at Syracuse in football or, or at, the, you know, at the time, Lou Alcindor, Kareem sure. Abdul-Jabbar at UCLA, they couldn't play on the varsity team until they were sophomores. They had to play for the freshman team their first year. And so I had to play for the Cornell freshman team, and um, amongst our opponents were, you know, were Ithaca College. And, and so it was one of those years that you just had to get through. 
And then finally, when you did, you know, then it started to be fun. Um, another story that I, I did pick out because I think it's very relevant today. And it's when, when you were with the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, as you know, hockey's has been kind of dealing with some moral issues and, and leadership issues now for quite a while, but you were tasked as, as the president of the Toronto Maple Leafs to have to deal with a very unfortunate circumstance uh, that happened at Maple Leaf Gardens involving um, some employees. Can you tell me a little bit about what you and, and did you point out in the book, your wife did uh, to help um, it involved a young man named Martin Cruz and it was an event you called Martin's hope. And this was in the late nineties, right? Yeah, it was 19. I think I started with the Leafs in 1997. Okay. And I started in June and in, 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 I think it was February of 97, a couple of months before I started, Martin Cruz came forward and talked about the sexual abuse that he had suffered at Maple Leaf Gardens. And, uh, uh, and so, uh, uh, and, and so, you know, that, that the question was, and, and, and I mean, as, as we, you know, have experienced, uh, you know, from reading newspapers and things in all the years since, and in a few years before that time, I mean, you know, the, the, the question is, is what do you do? How do you, how do you, you know, after the wrong thing, Mm-hmm. what's the right thing and how do you you know how do you deal with it you 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 don't grow up with that kind of experience and and background and 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 training and and so you know when i started i was as lost as as anybody was in terms of 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 how to deal with it and then it was only you know really after martin cruz had uh, uh, had 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 committed suicide and and of going to his funeral, that I came to realize that that what you can do is you know is 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 confronted is deal with it mm-hmm. is deal with the fact that that this happened, and that this happened at Maple Leaf Gardens, and it happened for reasons that may you know that 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 when you don't know them couldn't conceive can seem inconceivable. But when you under when when you get to know the you know learn about it more, are you know become entirely understandable? Is it you know, that that teams or at schools or at children's clubs or things like that? That's where kids are. Yeah. That's where they want to be, and and for those who are are are, are per- perpetrators, you know that is you know that's where they congregate as well. That you know they they use. Um, those circumstances against those kids, and 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 so if this happened at Maple Leaf Gardens, then we had to you know be you know uh, uh, allow something good to happen at Maple Leaf Gardens, and so you know we ended up creating something that we called Martin's Hope, and where we opened up the gardens for a couple of days, all parts of the gardens. And got the players involved in it as well, and, and so this would have been, again in, in the fall, maybe fall of '97, maybe early winter of of of, of '98 in in particular, um, and of 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 where abuse survivors, 
you know, would would be there, uh, counselors, therapists, uh, organizations, parents who are trying to understand um, uh, how things like this might happen and what they might do, and 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 use the notoriety of the Toronto Maple Leafs in 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 a constructive way mm-hmm. in, in in this particular regard, and and uh, I mean it's. Uh, you know, it, it and the, the thing that is always stunning is that, you know, that years pass, the lessons, you know, are, are there to be learned all the time. I mean, in terms of, of, you know, don't run away from it. Don't run away from this. This happened. Don't deny that it happened. Don't turn it into a legal fight. It's, it's, it's a human fight. It's a personal fight you know, experience that happened. Deal with it in that way. Those who are the survivors, what they want most is, you know, after this has happened, is that they want something a little bit good to come out of something really bad. Offer the opportunity for something that's a little bit good out of that, out of that really bad. Maybe something, you know, useful, you know, can happen. Maybe somebody can, you know, somebody can learn. Maybe the next person will know enough, you know, to be able to um, uh, protect themselves in it. So, I mean, it was a, it was, it was a very, very difficult time for the Toronto Maple Leafs because it, when I started there, it was, it, the place felt like, it was like everybody was haunted. I mean, it was, it was a haunted atmosphere of where everybody up until that moment had felt you know, pride in working for the Leafs, just as you're proud of working for the Flames and proud of working for the Oilers and any mm-hmm. other team, and you don't go to the to, to the rink by accident. You want to work there. You go there. You apply, and you're proud of of working there. And then all of a sudden, you know, things like this happen, and and everybody is telling you that you have no right to be proud. In fact, you should be ashamed. And now you have no idea what to do in the workplace. Okay, well, let's find something good to do in that workplace. It seems to me that 25 years later, we're still struggling with these other teams, but the league itself, its sport itself, still struggling with something that I I think you laid the groundwork for 25 years ago with Martin Zolp. Well, I mean, I, I think that, that the, that struggle continues because, uh, you know, the, the kind of um, the circumstances and 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 human nature continues. Mm. I mean that that you know if you're a kid, you know what do you do? You you trust an adult. The adult is older. the The adult is supposed to be somebody who um, has your best interests at heart. Um, the adult knows better than you do. Uh, the adult would only do good things. So, you know, whether it's 25 years ago or now, um, I mean, that's the basic understanding that, that we have. And it's a terrific understanding to have. And in almost every case, it's a constructive understanding to have. But for those who are, you know, are looking to, you know, to abuse all of that, that's where their opportunity lies, mm-hmm. and and uh, and then of course you know the, the you know the rest of it is is you know is the sort of the, the human nature of well when something bad happens one you first you don't believe it 
who, you know, you'd never believe that so-and-so would do this or that. You know, who do you believe, the person that you know or the person that you don't know? You know, the adult or do you believe the kid? And, 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 and so you get into this process of, of, of de denying, defending, uh, uh, you know, running away, you know, all of these things. And those are, unfortunately, for, you know, for all of us, those are timeless and universal. And so we do better uh, and we will continue to do better uh, if we you know, work at it and focus at it, on it. But, you know, there will still be these instances that happen. Um, my last one for you has to do with a book you wrote two books ago. Uh, I just want to follow up on Game Change, Life and Death of Steve Monador and the Future of Hockey. You were kind enough to spend a considerable amount of time with me as we talked about this book because Steve Monador was not only a friend, but, you know, well-loved well in Calgary. Um, I love that book. I love the, the challenges that that book laid out. Did the sport engage with you? Did the the NHL, did, did, were you able to achieve what you set out to achieve with that book? Mm -hmm. um, the league did not engage with me, but that isn't really the question. The question is whether the league engaged with the problem. Mm -hmm. Whether they engaged with me or not, it doesn't matter. Um, the league... Uh, has been very slow uh, in engaging with the problem. And again, it's gone through a lot of these same stages that I was laying out, you know, yep. that, that you don't know, then you deny, then you defend, then you, you know, you, you offer um, suspect um, expert uh, um, uh, advice and, 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 and evidence and so on. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, there's, there is a very predictable sequence. What you're, what you're hoping is that even as the, the league um, um, sort of puts its walls up higher, that behind its walls, that, that it, it engages in, in its own constructive conversations, that if, that if it does its best to avoid any kind of public conversation, which the NHL has done, that there might be a few people inside the, the NHL's walls that talk about this, that think about this, that imagine uh, that there are um, um, some answers and some very good answers. And the league has been you know, very slow in doing all of that. Things are better than they were oh, five or six years ago um, um, and for, for the reasons that, you know, it, it, it's why you, why you write books, mm -hmm. is that you, you try to get something out, something, uh, into, uh, a public conversation, into people's minds, into ways of thinking, and, uh, and then, and then little by little into ways of acting. And so, you know, even five or six years ago, um, almost all the conversation when, you know, when there'd be a big hit uh, would be, uh, you know, that, oh, you know, it, first of all, it was probably, oh, it was a great hit. You know, that yeah. would be the, the first yeah. thing. Then, then gradually the reaction was, well, great hit, but, um, uh, you know, that, that uh, um, was he really targeting the head? Mm -hmm. And it really had to do with targeting. I mean, it didn't matter if you hit the head or not, 
but if you really if if the hitter intended to hit the other person in the head as if that really made the difference as opposed to you know the 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 uh, um, the, the severity of, of the blow then you know what started to happen a little bit more in the commentators almost every time now when there is a big hit you know at their own initiative as opposed to sort of waiting for you know, almost uh, um, uh, a, a silence uh, in the in the broadcast booth to force them into saying something. They're almost all now saying, you know, w- w- was that a head hit? Was that a head hit? There's there's much greater focus now um, on whether something is a head hit or it isn't, and almost to the point now where there's much less focus on whether it was an in- intended, whether it was. The head was targeted. I mean, you know, again, the whole thing about targeting mm-hmm. is that, you know, is, is the brain doesn't distinguish whether, you know, that it was targeted or whether it just accidentally got hit. I mean, and, and it's all about the person getting hit as opposed to justice for the person who is the hitter, you know, in, in, in all of this. And so those things are improving. The thing that the thing that is is far from where it needs. I mean, and, and the thing, like the thing that 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 you know, what all of this, you know, that those that 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 are involved in the league might pat themselves on the back and say, well, things are better than they were. Um, I think that what the 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 right instinct is not to pat yourself on the back, is to take a step back and realize how easy it was. To yeah. actually get things to that stage when five or six years ago, that was going to be impossible. I mean, to hear the commentators talk about it, to hear the coaches, to hear the players talk about it, you know, that there was no possible way that you could play hockey where, you know, it would mean no hitting at all. And, you know, it's like garbage. That's not what this is about at all. So you can make these kinds of changes with almost no impact on the game at all and 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 where it needs to go next which is where it could have been five years ago ten years ago is to say to yourself look a hit to the head is a bad thing mm-hmm. that that's the whole issue here is that just as you know uh, hits to the knee can kind of do damage to the way you can skate well what you you know a wonky knee isn't a good thing a wonky brain is a heck of a lot worse. And, and so, you know, you just say like a hit to the head. You, you can't do it. You get penalized for a hit to the head. You, 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 you penalize somebody by hitting them in the head if you hit them with your stick in the head or if you hit them with your elbow in the head or even with the fist in the head. But somehow, if you hit them with your shoulder in the head, that's considered a great hit. And traditionally, it was a great hit until maybe it deserves a rethink when we think of the damage that can be done with a, you know, the, the force and power of a shoulder on somebody's head and on, and on their brain. So, so it's, and, and the thing that now, you know, that, that as, 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 uh, as more and more research is done, I mean, at one time, it seemed as if the damage came from the big hit that knocked somebody out. You know, then it was like, well, it doesn't really matter that much whether you knock somebody out or not. The effect can come in in lots of different ways, but it needs to be a big hit. Now, much more, you know, it's in terms of it's the accumulation of smaller hits. 
And again, it only makes sense is that, you know, like, think about it, you know, that, that the accumulation of hits to your knee, the accumulation of hits to your shoulder, those things add up and they turn into, you know, in, in, into, you know, a wonky shoulder and a wonky knee. And, and, and I mean, even, you know, that, that in, in, uh, you know, players, uh, you know, the more recent players that, that have, um, or, 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 you know, where the stories have come out, players like Stan Makita, Ralph Backstrom, Bob Murdoch, they were not big hitters. They were not people who played in, you know, a style where they would get an Henri Richard. Yep. You know, they, you know, they, it, it was, it would be the accumulation of hits, you know, um, uh, on them. And so, you know, you just accept the fact that the brain is vulnerable. A hit to the head isn't a good thing. And, you know, you, you deal with it and deal with it more than what you've done up until now. And what you've done up until now, you've learned in five years is no big deal, you know, and you can take the next step and have it no big be no big deal too, because players are incredibly adaptable and coaches are incre incredibly adaptable. You know, what they're always saying is just tell me the rules, you mm -hmm. know, I'll play them, you know, I'll, you know, whatever they are, just tell, tell me what they are, enforce them in some consistent way. Then I know the guidelines, then I can go out and play. Ken, I could do this all day. You have been incredibly generous with your time. Uh, the book <clears throat> is, uh, is the class. And uh, do want to remind everybody that Ken's in town next Tuesday, October 24th at WordFest, 8 o'clock at the Memorial Park Library, a Q&A and signing. So make sure you check that out. Um, I don't know what else to say than thank you. Um, the, you, you. There's an old adage, right, that you, you can't look ahead or you don't know where you're going or you can't get there until you know where you came from. And I just found reading the book that it was just brilliant on, on what Canada was and what it's become. So you've told a, a great story there. Thank you for your time today. Thanks a lot, Rob. Ken Dryden, everybody. Kind enough to join us today, uh, courtesy of our friends at Ski Cellar Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary. Two locations open right now, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, Bow Ridge Road Northwest. Check out the snow skating, the snowboards, and the skis as the snow is about to fly. Oh, uh, I just, I could do that all day. I could do that all day. Um, there are not many like Ken. Um, there are not many left like Ken. Um, he certainly, again, at the end there, a uh, very passionate conversation about safety in hockey. And um, I go back to that conversation, which was in November of 2017, uh, about his book, uh, Game Change, which is the life and death of Steve Monitor and the future of hockey. And if you go through that book, they were very common sense questions, but it became really apparent real quick. The NHL did not want anybody supporting this book, did not want anybody asking about this book. Now, the one thing that, that Ken and I didn't get into is, um, and I believe Ken talked about it uh, when, uh, you know, back in 2017 was the reality is, you know, it's the lawyer's. It's the litigation. It's the, well, the league can't exactly say, ah, yeah, you're right. The headshots are bad. Like, you know, it's the whole idea that um, the NHL refuses to accept um, scientific information that says um, concussions can cause CTE. 
So blows to the head can cause CTE and, and can, you know, prematurely end the life of people. I think we know that, um, you know, I think you, you see work being done, uh, university of Boston uh, brain Institute and, and others, um, you know, th there's no shortage in football and hockey and soccer. There's no shortage of, of science that's now tying, uh, concussive blows to the head and CTE and, and the shortening of lives. And, you know, I think all Ken was trying to do, and as he, you know, in that book in the, was to create a conversation and, and in this book, the class, this one's different. Um, there's some, there's some really good nuggets in there, but I won't get into them because I think you'll can the opportunity to buy the book and read it. But, um, I thought this is odd guy writing about his high school class. What could be so exciting about this? And then the way he puts it together and the way you follow Canada through their eyes, it's, uh, it's really, really well done and not surprising. I don't think we have a whole ton of questions today, do we, Jackie? No, a couple questions, though. Okay, let's get, get to them. a couple. Absolutely. Some people are a little uh, upset about the NHL schedule tonight. Five games all at the same time. Does the NHL have any idea what they're doing? I never weighed into this one. I always thought it was one that everybody got excited about. Um, I, I honestly, I think it comes down to the con consumption of the sport now. Um, I think this is probably a construct of the, I only watch my team days uh, prior to building out, you know, apps and, and quite honestly, gambling. I think people want to be able to, to watch the games they got involvement in. I think they want to watch their fantasy players. So when you take an entire schedule and say it starts at five o'clock Calgary time, a for I, us out West, it sucks because some of us are still getting home from work and B now we have to make a decision. Which am I watching? Um, part of this too, though, we'll go back upon the, the lapse of the teams. The teams will have data to tell you what time is best for their fans. A lot of decisions are still made based on ticket purchasers. Not necessarily as much as we blame television and, and things like that. Television has a role to play, but, um, you know, there are certain teams, uh, you know, let's just assume, I think New Jersey's playing tonight. Are they not? Yeah. They're one of the teams. Yeah. So, you know, if you tell them, Hey, we want you to go to seven 30, they're going to go, well, that we don't draw really well at seven 30 midweek because of school and things like that. So it's an imperfect system. Um, that's still designed based around the ticket buyer is what I would say. I don't lose any sleep over it. I mean, we can record them all if we have to and go back and watch them, you know. Can you do that? But if you like watch or record a game after, I could never, I can't do it. You can't watch a recorded game? Like, I just can't. Once the game's over, so and it's we, done, like, I, I, used, I can't do it. Yeah. So I had whatever that was, uh, NHL this minute or whatever, you know, the app, right? And um, I would, in preparation for a game, I would watch uh, four or five four or five games from the last month just to, to see who's playing who, of the opposition. Right. Cause I've seen all the flames games, same thing in the American hockey league. I was watching uh, AHL games, um, you know, before the teams would come in, I'd watch their last series. And uh, I think when you're doing it from a, a work standpoint or a preparation standpoint, it's different. Um, you know, like the NFL, we only get X amount of games. But if I saw the, you know, we didn't, let's say we didn't get the Detroit game yesterday. Oh, I got to go back. Nah, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. For me, it's like my girlfriend would be like, well, can you just record the game and watch it later? And I'm like, I, the, the, yeah. The one I love was uh, when TSN replays the games from the night before. 
Um, and you know, you, you, you go to the dome and they got the TVs behind the ticket windows and stuff like that. So they're all showing the game from the night before. And it's yeah. like, um, sometimes that's the greatest thing and greatest advertisement going. And there's other times you're like, do we really want to watch this again? <laughs> do we really want to be showing this again? Yeah. Next question for yes. you. Uh, Caudry, a bit of a slow start, uh, beginning of the season here. Do you think he should get a look with Huberdo, maybe some different players? What are your, what are your thoughts on Caudry overall so far? Uh, like Huberdo, I think it's been up and down. Um, I'd like to see him a little bit more involved. I think he needs to be a little bit of a disturber. Um, I, I expect you're going to see new line mates for him. I don't think he's going to go up to the, I really think they like that pairing of Huberdo and Lindholm. I think they 28 will make 10 go, I think. And I think they'd like to keep Kadri uh, up the middle. It's interesting, it, you know, depending on who you believe he's either the third line center or the second line center, right? Yeah. Um, he's got to play like a second line center right now. He's playing like a third line center. And at points last game, it looked like all three of them are playing together. Lindholm, Huberto, and Kadri. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's blending, right? Or yeah. the blender. Just trying to get something going. Yeah, just trying to get something going. Uh, last one for you today. Sure. Sharon Govich. Would you be surprised if he's out of the lineup? No. No. He, he hasn't played well enough to cement himself. So I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't do it. Uh, and I'll tell you why I wouldn't do it. I think if you look at Mackenzie Weger first half versus Mackenzie Weger second half last year, there is something to be said about coming in and acclimatizing to yourself. Um, I don't want to speak for him, but if you told me that he's a little pissed off because he's not part of a Stanley Cup contender in New Jersey, sure, I can see that. Uh, I don't uh, want to speak for him, but if you're telling me he's, you know, not you know, hasn't made friends yet. Okay, sure. Whatever the the circumstances are, he just does not look comfortable to me. He's got skills. He's got wheels. He's got all of it. It just isn't coming together. I think two games in, it's, you know, it's the same as the Kadri thing. It's, you know, I'll answer the questions, but am I concerned? No. Um, I like a lot of the little details that I've seen now. It's just a matter of everybody putting them together, um, you know, and, and it's a hard league to win in. It really is a hard league to win in. Um, I would hope that there'd be some sense of familiarity and comfort for Sharon Govich on this road trip. These are teams that he should have seen a lot, you know, coming in to play Washington should not be an eye opener for him at all. Same thing with Pittsburgh. Um, but yeah, he needs to get his crap together. I, I don't think they can have, you know, I don't think they can have him muddling and fiddling around on the fourth line. You may as well get, you know, somebody up here now cap constraints. So maybe they don't have a lot of options and maybe that benefits him, but, um, there's nothing that suggests to me that he's a lock to be in any lineup right now. I agree. And like coming into the year, like what was your expectations from like 20 my, goals? Yeah. My expectations were that, that they found a guy that they felt could come in. He was such a, a precise pickup. If that makes any sense? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it wasn't like, well, we'll trade you Tyler to Foley. What do you got? Yeah. They, they targeted him. And the reason they targeted him was his, you know, if you look at his time on ice in terms of penalty kill last year, I think he was second in New Jersey and it was a very good penalty kill or an okay penalty kill. They were a very good penalty kill, but, you know, they were losing to Foley. Um, and then I think they looked at two years ago and, and his usage and he did get 20 goals and he wasn't a front line, you know, necessarily a front line guy. Um, I think that's what what they were hoping to buy on is is to have this guy come in and and just go okay cool so this is my role this i can do and and it's been very eh, so far 
But like I say, Mackenzie Weger last year, I'm like, really? This is this is what this guy's all about? Then the second half of the season, you go, no, this is what this guy's about. So I'm, I'm willing to give him some time. I would like to see him back in the top six at some point. Yeah. Like you got to give him a, a bit it, bigger of a leash. Well, and we're going to see Phillips tonight, right? And, yeah. and Phillips for Washington is, is probably going to play third or fourth line. But at some point, you got to put him in a place to be successful, right? And you know, maybe you find out that his speed and, and Huberto's passing ability, maybe they can, you know, get those tap ins at the side of the net going and that sort of thing. Perfect. But I agree with you. You, you know, it's, it's a little bit like Ruzicka. I, I don't know about everybody else. I'm yeah. Okay. Seen this movie before. Where's he going to go? You know, when he has a bad game and, you know, Sharon Govich is the opposite of that right now. Okay. I, this isn't good, but how can we get him going? I think you have a responsibility to try to get him going. So I'm like you. If you're getting into these blender situations, put them up on the front. See what you can create. Agreed. All right. And that'll be the end of the questions. That'll be the end of the questions. Uh, coming up on Wednesday, Peter Marr will join us. Uh, we will check in with the Hall of Famer, get his thoughts on the start of the Calgary Flames season. Uh, we also have a show on Friday with a guest to be named later. Um, but we'll continue to work on that. Uh, I want to thank uh, Ken Dryden for joining us. The book is The Class, Memoir of a Place, Time, and Us. It's an excellent read. WordFest is in Calgary next week, Tuesday, October 24th. Ken will be signing uh, books and doing a Q&A at the Memorial Park Library at 8 o'clock. Um, trying to remember. We got anything? We got we got Afterburner tonight, right? Yeah, Afterburner, Boomer, and Rhett right after the game. Okay. Anything else going on before now on Wednesday? I hope not. Okay. Well, Afterburner's worthwhile. We'll check that out. Uh, unless you made other plans, have a great day, everybody. We'll see you back here on Wednesday. Thanks.